Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we wrap up another busy and eventful week. And we're going to do so by taking a look at uh, the markets, how they're reacting to all the news, both the delayed planting, prevented planting, and, of course, all the trade news as we are on trade watch and uh, tariff watch to see what happens with the perhaps new tariffs on Mexico next week. We'll be talking with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net and also a farmer in eastern Illinois get a planning progress report from that part of the Midwest as well. A lot of controversy over the moving of the Economic Research Service and National Institute of Food and Agriculture, moving those agencies away from Washington, D.C., and we're going to talk about that controversial move with Joe Glauber, former USDA chief economist, now senior research fellow for the International Food Policy Research Institute. That's coming up on today's program as well. But we're going to start things off with a check on the news with DTN's Ag Policy Editor, Chris Clayton. Chris, thanks for joining us. We are indeed once again on tariff watch, aren't we? Yeah, from what I understand, it. Just even today, it looks like the uh, Trump administration will uh, will submit the legal notification um, for these uh, intentions to file the tariffs against Mexico on Monday. Uh, so that just kind of uh, happened uh, or got announced here fairly recently today. Yeah, and even though it sounds like there's been some progress or some movement in talks, the administration's saying not enough. So now we see what happens uh, when, these, if the, indeed these tariffs go into place into place next week. Uh, it's just hard to imagine that this does not impact USMCA at some level. Now, I mean, you have uh, really divided uh, the uh, the Republican caucus uh, on this uh, in Congress. Uh, you have a lot of Republicans in the Senate, uh, and um, probably uh, a lot of them who are more quiet about it, perhaps in the House, that are uh, very upset about this as well. So, um, you know, there's been talk all week about whether Congress could stop the president from doing this. I, I don't think that's possible, but uh, it's, uh, it's really frustrated some of the president's uh, closest allies in Congress. Meanwhile, as we look at the events of this week, we had finally the passage and the signing of the, the disaster aid bill. And, of course, we learned this week that Prevent Plant Acres will not be included in the market facilitation program. And I know you have been critical of um, USDA for its handling of, uh, of these issues and uh, the uncertainty that has been created for farmers trying to make uh, critical decisions. Yeah, it's not just USDA, Congress as well, because, you know, this bill was delayed uh, because of the issues with Puerto Rico. The timing of the passage was was just incredibly terrible because it really happened just as we moved into the late planting season for corn and soybeans uh, in this crazy um, planting year. And we know that we've had, you know, we're tens of millions of acres that are unplanted 
so it really created a lot creates a lot of confusion uh, among farmers when you say that well uh, the bill is going to increase protections for um, crops that do not get planted and and I think they meant that money specifically to go to places that were um, you know inundated with flooding but the flooding has increased everywhere um, and so it's uh, it's it's going to be a really confusing situation and it's going to create some resentment I think because some farmers may get a uh, a payment out of this other farmers that are in just as dire a situation might not be in a federally disaster declarated area won't get help right so uh, I, I think that it, it can it's going to cause a little bit of conflict when uh, how come uh, I'm getting a disaster payment but somebody else uh, is not who's in the same situation. And meanwhile, we continue to wait to see what the county rates are going to be for the market facilitation payments. Are you hearing anything on that? Um, I am not. I did understand that, you know, Purdue said at a couple of events this week that he expected more details to come out. Um, you know, at the same time, you mentioned the notion that they, they indicated that prevented planted acres would not be involved. So last week they indicated they would look and consider that. Um, you know, nothing written has been put out to really define uh, the specifics on this. So um, uh, this is another t situation where nothing's written on paper so um, you're hearing, you know, a report here, a report there. Uh, it, I think it's tremendously problematic for farmers who are trying to finish this planting season right now and not exactly knowing what that safety net looks like one way or the other. Yeah, between the administration, Congress, USDA, I mean, there's so many mixed signals coming out and so much confusion in an already uh, hectic and historic in many negative ways year for farmers trying to get crops planted. Well, you know, for 30 years I've heard, listen, you know, the, uh, try to keep the government out of market decisions. In the past month, I don't think we've seen the government become more involved in in confusing and muddying the waters on on. on market decisions and planting than, than we've seen right now um, in, you know, if the, whether it's the market facilitation payments or the disaster aid, you have uh, mixed signals and you, you really probably just have to tune it out and say, I got to do what is best for, you know, agronomically in the, in the land at this point uh, than, uh, than whatever I'm hearing one way or the other from uh, these programs. And, you know, meanwhile, farmers are trying to make these planting decisions. The prevent plant dates have passed, and uh, we know some are still trying to plant. Others have no choice. They can't plant. Uh, it's, it's just, I mentioned this yesterday, what's going on this spring is going to make this an entirely different year all year long. It's just going to look different, feel different, be different than what we've, we're accustomed to, maybe than what we've ever seen. Yeah, in you're continuing to have, uh, you know, more flooding risks. Um, I, I saw video uh, this morning of a, 
levee that uh, looks like it's ready to breach in, uh, in I believe, in Arkansas. So you're going to have more land that is going to be flooded in different places. Uh, it hasn't stopped at this point. Um, and it's going to be hard to take up not just the land that didn't get planted, but the land that got planted and then destroyed, or just the fact that it was so saturated it really hurt yield. So these, all of these problems are going to be out here this entire uh, growing Yep, it's a long-term impact, that's for sure. Chris, thanks for being with us. Thanks for your perspective. Have a great weekend, Mike. You too. DTN Ag Policy Editor Chris Clayton. All right, controversial move of two research agencies for USDA. We'll talk about it next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Wash hands and utensils to avoid spreading bacteria when preparing food. Separate. Use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Cook. You can't tell it's done by how it looks. Always use a food thermometer. Chill. Keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, Immigration Reform, Reducing Regulations, Trade, New Technology, as well as Infrastructure and Health Care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction. Plus, the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. 
Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The controversial decision to move the Economic Research Service and National Institute of Food and Agriculture outside of Washington, D.C., more to the Midwest, well, that uh, controversy is really coming to a head. Uh, There have been accusations that uh, President Trump... um, he doesn't like the findings of uh, these groups, so he's going to move them out of Washington, D.C. Secretary Purdue says the reasons will be that uh, that will put the agencies closer to farmers and ranchers and that it will be less expensive in the Midwest than it is in the uh, Washington, D.C. area, and that will make it uh, um, easier to attract qualified scientists and researchers because uh, it will be less expensive uh, cost of living and also says that the rent for those two agencies will be cheaper and they've proposed three finalists for new locations uh, could be Kansas City area could be somewhere in Indiana and could be somewhere in the research triangle region of North Carolina but uh, the employees obviously are very unhappy others have uh, spoken out against this move as well Let's get the thoughts now of former USDA chief economist, now senior research fellow for the International Food Policy Research Institute, Joe Glauber. Joe, thank you for being with us. What are your thoughts on this proposed move? Yeah, no, thanks, Mike. Um, you know, I, I started my career at, at ERS um, uh, back in the 80s um, and worked for them for a number of years, and then when I was moved over to the chief economist's office uh, for a number of years. The chief of ERS reported to the, the, that position. Um, so, and, and when I was chief economist, of course, they uh, worked a lot with ERS. They contribute to the world board and, um, you know, do the monthly uh, supply and demand estimates. So I have a long, long history with them. Uh, I guess my main concerns about the move are, are primarily, you know, the, just the cost of relocation. I think what it's going to mean for a lot of personnel. I think, you know, there are people with uh, dual, dual careers and, you know, kids and houses and everything else here. And I think they'll just lose a lot of people. Um, and that's going to be costly to replace. And I think is, you know, if I were chief econ- economist, I'd, I'd be concerned about the fact that I may lose a, a lot of really uh, – Good people, you know. I I think a lot has been made about oh gee, you know, is it good to have an agency like this? Is you know, is, is this proximity issue to policymakers or proximity issue to farmers or or whatever? You know, in this day and age, you can work from almost anywhere. So I don't think that that in and of itself relocation is 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 troubling. Companies move all the time, but the fact is there is a pretty big cost to it, and I think they will lose a, a number of really both senior and uh, a lot of new uh, employees who have taken jobs here, and and that, that will be very hard. I, I think the other thing that, 
that I think has really been lost in this thing is, I mean, this is an agency that, you know, has been known for its quality, objective research, and, you know, and nonpartisan. And yet, yet the irony is with this whole debate is now caught up in this big partisan, you know, political debate over what's going to happen to them. And I, and I hope that their reputation doesn't suffer as, as because of that, because uh, I know as chief economist, you know, I depended a lot on the sort of objective research that they produced. You know, sometimes, you know, there'd be uh, an article or uh, a report you, you, uh, uh, you know, sometimes those, those truths were inconvenient, as it were. Uh, but I think it was an important part of that that uh, agency has been to, you know, give, call it as it, they see it, uh, give objective research, and essentially, you know, pour, pour cold water on bad ideas. I think that's uh, uh, that always serves you well in the long run. I think people, uh, uh, once they, you know, realize that uh, and this is, I found every every administration that I work with may have come in with thinking, well, gee, these guys are they with us or are they against us? But realize they're they are, they are with you because they're providing you. Uh, good objective advice on things. So you described what many have uh, called a a brain drain, a loss of some very valuable key people in these agencies. But do you agree that uh, moving it to the Midwest, moving these agencies to the Midwest, uh, will that help them uh, help attract other qualified people into those jobs that might not have been willing to move to Washington, D.C.? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I... Look, I think, say if you were doing this, if an ERS didn't exist and you wanted to create an, an ERS or a NIFA, you know, the idea that you might headquarter them in Kansas City or St. Louis or Ames or, or West Lafayette, um, sure, you could do that, and, and you would, uh, uh, you know, you'll attract some people. I think there's also a lot of people who do come to a place like D.C. because of, dual careers and the fact that there's a lot of other, you know, a lot of job opportunities. I mean, I, I can say that in my in my own case, you know, 35 years ago, uh, um, Washington may have not have been my first choice, but, and I realized it was an expensive place relative to some of the other job opportunities I had, but there was a place for my wife to work. And, um, you know, so it, 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 it cuts both ways, I think. And I think you'll see that, unfortunately, with with a move that, that there will be a lot of people who just say, look, I can't afford to do that. Do you buy the argument that it's just about a matter of saving money and uh, uh, getting closer to the producers, or do you think there are political implications at work here? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the uh, I, You know, the, the, the thing that has disturbed me is that the administration has put forward uh, – you know, essentially a 50% budget cut for the agency over the last couple of years. And and I think the more cynical would say, well, gee, here's a, here's a way to get it by moving the people. But Secretary Purdue claims that's not the case, that, that they're committed to funding the agency. So, uh, and Congress certainly has, has rejected the, the cuts. Um, so I, I, yeah, I don't know. You know, uh, uh, I'll take them at, at at their word that it's not uh, politically driven or motivated. But um, again, I think this issue sort 
sort of cuts both ways on proximity. I mean, I think that, that you know, these are economists that, that they do important work for policymakers. They also inform the, the public. They also inform, inform farmers. Um, you know, I don't think there's anything magical about them being located in, in Washington, nor do I think it, there's anything magical about them being located in, in anywhere else. The fact is they're in Washington right now, and that's the, the very real fact that I think that, that will cause some big costs just trying to move that. You know, over well, the we long know. run, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, ERS employees voted to unionize in order to fight the relocation. Uh, but it looks like, uh, I mean, the plans are to go ahead, as Secretary Purdue saying, this days or weeks uh, we'll be seeing the announcement on this. What do you think will be the impact, uh, Joe, for uh, the ag community? What, what, you know, we don't know how many of those employees won't move, uh, but obviously some probably are not going to. What do you think will be the impact? Well, yeah, I think they'll, if they, if they lose a significant number and, you know, uh, the, the thing that would concern me are, are twofold. One is some are staying in Washington, um, is my understanding. But I also hear that they're they're breaking up some of the units. Uh, that that bothers me in in one sense. I mean, I think of the people who do say situation and outlook work. You know, the market analysts. I'd want all of them together in one one group, regardless of they're in Washington or in Kansas City, I, or wherever they end up moving. Uh, the idea that there be in two, two different places just seems to be pretty inefficient, and and they're important. They're important because they are and provide really important uh, input into the monthly supply and demand estimates that USDA puts out. Um, it's so true with with the other areas too. Be it work on on uh, nutrition, work on environment, work on uh, trade. Um, those people, you know, as chief economists, there were groups, I would say, you know, there were people doing research at ERS. I may not have, may not see them or talk to them, you know, but once or twice a year. But when I needed to talk to them, it was important to be able to uh, um, access that information. And I would hate to lose, my my worry is that they will lose some uh, real uh, ability to kind of respond to the sort of requests that yeah. policymakers will make, that is, you know, needing uh, information on right. certain things. And, uh, you know, that, uh, obviously someone may argue, well, that's just a short-term phenomena. Over the next few years, yeah. they could rehire and everything. But there's going to be a lot of human capital that uh, um, that will be lost along the way. We'll, because we'll of see it. what happens that's for sure. Really unfortunate. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for your perspective. Former USDA Chief Economist Joe Glover on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, let's talk with one Illinois farmer between the Quad Cities and Peoria. David Erickson joins us. David, thanks for being with us. How much do you have done? Um, I'm about uh, 95% plus on corn, so I feel fortunate there, and, and most of that corn is up, but no soybeans planted. For the most part, Mike, we've not gotten big rains, although last night, depending on where you're at here in Knox County in Illinois, we're uh, you know, somewhere between, uh, I'd say, 1.6 and 2.5 inches. Our forecast is for a little bit dry. 
drier weather and in today's lingo that means uh scattered showers of uh you know somewhere between two tenths and half an inch so we're as wet now as we've been at any time this spring and uh we're probably looking at a week's worth of drying uh to get back into the fields i would guess for the information important to rural america join us on adams on agriculture Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. From the American Ag Network, I'm Kristen Rawl. The grain and oil seed sector is defensive on this Friday's trading session. Minus size in soybeans, corn, and wheat, cattle futures are trading higher and a mixed tone in the hot contracts. Heavy rains in Oklahoma and parts of southern Kansas Thursday caused flooding and are hitting winter wheat areas at a vulnerable time before harvest. The back half of the 14-day outlook expects below normal temperatures and above normal precipitation for most of the Midwest, adding to the challenge of late planting. U.S. tariffs on Mexican goods are set to take effect June 10th, possibly prompting a response that could be negative to U.S. egg interests. Mexico has come out with a list of egg goods that could be hit with tariffs. The list does not include corn, one of Mexico's biggest imports from the U.S. China's 25% tariff remains on U.S. soybeans and President Donald Trump is threatening another $300 billion in tariffs on Chinese goods. On the Board of Trade, July soybeans down four and a quarter at 8.64 and a quarter. Nearby corn down three quarters of a cent at 4.19 and three quarters. Nearby Minneapolis spring wheat up four cents at 5.69 and a quarter. Kansas City wheat nearby down two and a half at 4.53. Nearby Chicago wheat down a penny and a half at 5.08 and a half. For livestock at the Merck in live cattle futures, nearby up 45 cents at 108.05. Nearby feeder cattle futures up 5 cents at 139.32. In lean hog futures, June up 35 cents at 79.72. In the outside markets, the Dow Jones is 228 points higher. The NASDAQ composite up 83. The S&P is up 23, and crude oil is up 87 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Kirsten Rawl for the American Ag Network. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, let's talk planning progress and markets. Joining us now is Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. He farms in eastern Illinois. Matt, thanks for being with us. Uh, You tell me you've got your corn planted, right? 
Yeah, I've got my corn planted. Uh, we were trying to get our soybeans planted as well, but of course we got rain where we uh, were trying to finish up. So uh, in this part of the world, uh, most of the corn uh, is either in or is getting put in this week. We uh, actually have missed some rains right in here. Uh, you I don't have to go maybe 20 miles south, though, and a good chunk of the rest of uh, southern Illinois uh, has had quite a bit of rain. And so... Uh, and then, of course, the northern third of Illinois uh, got a big shower there two nights ago. So uh, I still think Illinois is going to be lagging significantly uh, whenever we, whenever Monday rolls around. Well, you talk with and work with farmers uh, in several states. What are you hearing from them on their decisions on whether to plant or not? You know, I think uh, as far as their decisions go, it, it's uh, definitely a struggle. Uh, and then the, obviously everyone knows at this point that it's highly likely that you're going to have to plant uh, to receive the MFB payment. That's certainly in the back of people's minds. But at the same time, you've got to ask yourself, you know, uh, if you were a producer that didn't have fertilizer or chemical on, uh, do you want to invest in that whenever you've got uh, some of the data that we've seen this week that everyone's probably looked at from Iowa State and the University of Illinois that would suggest that uh, yields are drugged down significantly, which we all kind of know, but to put numbers on it, uh, the Iowa State uh, data that we saw there yesterday showed 25% yield drop if you plant after June the 5th. So, uh, you know, and a 40% yield drop after June the 20th. So that's a, that's a pretty big, uh, significant difference. And so to me, with the price action that we've seen here in the last week or so, kind of easing off just a little bit, I think that producers uh, maybe might not be as likely uh, to push the envelope uh, seeing those types of yield drops as what they might have been if we would have kept on marching up past 450. Of course, and I'm not arguing with the numbers on, on lower yields, but things are maybe things are just different. We don't know what the growing season is going to be. Maybe the growing season has just changed, and, uh, you know, time will tell, but uh, maybe it's a – a later but you know uh, a longer growing season than what what we're accustomed to maybe we make up for it on the other end now that's a big if but i mean it who knows the way things are going now well yeah i mean who knows but i would say that uh, typically uh, when you plant in june uh, we've had times when we were pleasantly surprised but uh, you also have to ask yourself you know uh like, for instance, in a state like South Dakota, where there's been uh, major issues trying to get the crop in the ground, especially in that southern part and southeastern corridor, um, you know, what are you what are you going to be planting as far as your uh, maturity? You know, are you going to be able to get this thing black layered? Uh, I know that my father talked to me about the year I was born in 1974. He didn't pick any corn under 35% because he had an early frost and they planted late. And so... Uh, he said the first date that he planted corn in 74 here in central Illinois was uh, June the 3rd. So, um, you know, you got to keep that in the back of your mind. So whenever you put all this together, I just think that, um, you know, we've heard from a ton of producers in the last couple of days that elected, uh, you know, to take uh, the prevent plant option on at least part of their acres. Uh, I've heard from a few in Ohio and northern Indiana that uh, took it on all their acres. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that the – uh, finding out true acreages is going to take a long time. We're not going to know those numbers for quite some time. The landscape is going to look different this year, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's going to be a completely different setup and a lot of different things to think about. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts that we don't typically have to deal with. Trying to figure out market direction could be a very 
tough thing to do, but I think that the market will at least have an element of support uh, given the fact that, uh, you know, some of the things that we're talking about are unprecedented. I know there's been some uh, comparisons, for instance, in 1993, but 1993, and if you were affected by it, it was horrific. And uh, I, I don't, uh, uh, you know, want to discount that at all for anybody along the Missouri and Mississippi River. Uh, but you got east of the Mississippi, and actually most of the eastern Corn Belt wasn't impacted much. And so I would say it was uh, this year, uh, this flood situation or uh, lack of planning progress situation has is, is taken no – I mean, it's basically it's, – it's been an equal opportunity situation, you know. So most people have participated in it in some shape or form. So when you've got one-third of the crop as of the 1st of June that still has to go in the ground, that's, that's something that we've never seen before. We're talking with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. And, Matt, you got people praying that there will be no rain for them because they are dealing with the flooding or still trying to get to the fields. And you don't have to go very far, and you've got some farmers, maybe even on their, on the same farm, could use some rain on some of their newly planted uh, ground. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the thing is is that we've all pushed the envelope a little bit this year. Uh, you, you'll be hard-pressed to talk to a producer that feels good about every acre uh, or even a significant chunk of the acreage that they've put in. Most guys are saying, yeah, 70 80% of what we put in the ground went in pretty nice, but, boy, some of it I'm not super proud of. That's been a pretty common theme. And so whenever we're putting it in and the ground's just a little bit wet, it doesn't take much of a shower, and, then, you know, it gets harder than you know what. And so a lot of these guys have been praying for a rain, uh, you know, but at the same time, as, as, you, as you say, uh, we actually uh, – uh, you know, we actually don't want it where, where we're trying to get finished up or where you've got flooding situations. So we've talked about acres that, you know, decisions whether to plant or not plant. What about decisions switching corn acres to beans? Well, you know, the, the market has offered a little bit of an opportunity to take a look at that whenever we ran back over $9 basis to know. But, you know, the last couple of days we've moved back south, so it makes it a little bit tougher situation. But, you know, at least we're not looking at the low eights like we were before. So, you know, our producer is going to go that route. I think that uh, there probably will be some that will do so. I don't think it's going to be super widespread. Now, if we were looking at the type of prices that we've seen, um, you know, maybe in the last couple, three years where you've got $10 beans and above, it'd be a no-brainer. You'd see a ton of beans switched. But, you know, uh, at these price levels, I don't know that I could make a case uh, to see a significant amount of switching there. So why do you think the markets have backed off? I mean, it would seem like we were, it kind of felt like we're going to take off uh, with this corn, with the corn price, and then it cooled off. Why do you think that happened? Well, there's a couple of things. Uh, the, the biggest glaring thing for me is demand. You know, export sales were terrible yesterday. Uh, we need to be able to export some corn, but the problem is we're the, we're the most expensive corn in town, and so... Uh, you know, uh, you're seeing the South American uh, corn being able to be exported a heck of a lot easier than ours, especially when you look at currency situations. So uh, exports, uh, you know, ethanol uh, profit margins aren't the best. You're still seeing a fair amount of corn used for ethanol, but there's definitely a lot of uh, worry that that's going to have to uh, slow down, hopefully E15 and maybe uh, uh, some sort of addressing of this RIN situation could be uh, – uh, a boon for the market but the one good thing that i do see though is livestock numbers are still awfully strong uh you've got to wonder if they're going to continue to stay strong the way that the cattle market's been beat up here the last few weeks but uh 
you know, uh, bottom line is if you got cattle on feed, you're going to feed them. It's not like you're going to back out of it right now. So, uh, you know, I think demand has been the most glaring thing. The other thing is December corn tried to trade over 454. Uh, we've we've done that three times now, and uh, 454 is where the market got stopped dead in its tracks in 15 and 16. And so over the last five years, you haven't been able to go above that mark. I think a lot of your technical traders uh, drew that line in the sand, and if we weren't going to bust through 454, they were going to tank the market. And so that's kind of what we've seen happen. But uh, I think that uh, you'll have enough fuel to get through that at some point if this uh, acreage situation is is as significant as what some of the people uh, – you know, that I've been reading and listening to think it is. We're going to start looking more and more, not just planning progress, but more and more on uh, uh, the quality of the crop, the crop conditions. Uh, I think the focus will really start shifting there, won't it? Yeah, it will. And I think uh, Karen Braun wrote a great piece uh, uh, this week, uh, basically saying that the USDA for the first conditions report and all conditions report, but this first one's important, I think, in that they're going to be looking at the corn that's up, and they're going to say this is how the corn that is, has emerged looks. And so I would say that the corn that has emerged uh, probably isn't a great representation of the condition of the U.S. corn crop. And so uh, is that going to come out maybe a little bit better on Monday than what people think? Well, I, I hope that people educate themselves on what that number truly means, but uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to tell you that the condition of this U.S. crop at this point is not good overall. And yes, there's going to be some good corn here and there, but uh, we've we've put this crop under a significant amount of stress and probably dropped our yield potential uh, in a fairly significant fashion. So I totally agree with you. We're going to be watching crop conditions reports, but. As indicated last year, those conditions reports were through the roof, and you would have thought we were going to have 185 bushel national yield, and you ended up with a 176. So uh, if we can only get a 176 out of kind of weather we had last year, uh, some of the people still floating around trend line yield in uh, mid-170s I think might be sadly mistaken. But the markets react to those numbers. They don't look at a lot of those behind the scenes or between the lines that you were just talking about. You're right, and that, so that's why I think that people need to ready themselves. That uh, you know, you could have some bearishness there. The other thing, Mike, is what about the acreage report at the end of the month? You know, as of June 1st, what were producers going to do? Well, they want to get corn in the ground because you started a, a pretty large scale rally that got people excited. Uh, people didn't know though that they were going to continue to get pummeled with rain, and so uh, two different things come to mind when it comes to acreage report. If you were in an area that could run. There's been additional corn acres put in the ground. There's no question about it. A lot of savvy producers, uh, you know, that were able to do so, I think, put more corn in the ground. Uh, the other thing is, is that people that didn't get to plant, I think as of June 1st, their intentions were to plant. So I'm not so sure that that June acreage report is going to be uh, a very good representation whatsoever of what true acreage is going to be. Can be misleading for sure. So there'll be a lot of discussion about that coming up. Matt, thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having me. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net joining us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! 
cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, <clears throat> me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Hi, I'm Greg Peterson of the Peterson Farm Brothers. If you've seen our videos, you know we're proud to be farmers. Farming can be dangerous. Never assume location or depth of underground utilities or pipelines. Before you start any work on your farm, call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com to have underground lines located. It only takes a minute and can save your life. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. So we just talked with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council. Obviously, they are ecstatic that the uh, metal tariffs on Canada and Mexico have been lifted. We can talk about that as well with Colin Woodall for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, this was looked at as a, a must-have to get USMCA moving forward, and I know you at NCBA are happy to have uh, those tariffs lifted. We're extremely happy to see these tariffs lifted now, we're in a little bit different shape from our friends in the pork industry because they were really getting hammered with the tariffs. But we were also, though, however, 
really pushing to try to get these tariffs taken down because we knew if we wanted to have a chance of getting a vote on USMCA, the tariffs were going to have to be a part of this deal. So the fact that this is done uh, earlier is, I think, going to be overall very beneficial to uh, the process of getting a vote and finally passing USMCA and putting this chapter behind us. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture. We continue with our series on tips for better operating performance from your equipment this year and a year that's already uh, time sensitive because of the delayed planning and and difficulties in getting to the fields. You don't want any uh, um, unexpected problems out there from your equipment. So we've talked a lot about the fuel that goes into your equipment. Today we're going to take a look at your fuel system, how it works as a whole, all the way from the bulk tank all the way to the exhaust system of your equipment. Joining us is Akhtar Hussein, who's Director of Fuels Marketing for CHS. Akhtar, really, fuel issues can start before the fuel ever gets to the equipment, right? That's absolutely right, uh, and that's why you know maintaining your fuel tank is, is so important. Um, really, we look at the operation that occurs between the delivery of the fuel, the fuel in, in the tank, in the bulk tank at the farm site, getting that fuel into the into the into the, the equipment. That is all one system, and so really, the fuel performance really starts with maintaining a, a clean fuel tank. And some of the issues that can occur uh, inside fuel tanks that aren't well maintained are, you know, there can be microbial growth. Um, there can be, you know, dirt and debris can get in there, plug filters, um, and really can create some damage. Um, specifically, when we talk about fuel stability, you know, there's a lot of fuel right now that's being uh, blended with bioproduct, uh, and some of the fuel that Senex produces is, it has got bio in it, uh, and we think that, in, you know, we think that's a good thing, but it does have impacts in fuel stability. It makes it a little bit less um, less temperature stable, uh, and it absolutely can cause some additional microbial growth. So having that bulk fuel tank regularly maintained and inspected is vitally important. Yeah, I was going to ask, how do you minimize fuel tank contamination? There's a number of ways that, that we can do that. Uh, it starts with just visual inspection, right, just keeping an eye on things. We want to look if things are starting to rust, gaskets are starting to erode, um, you know, vents getting clogged, uh, some things like that. So, I mean, if you notice anything like that visually, make sure that the, that you're, you know, staying on top of those things and getting those items fixed. It's very important 
is having that tank drained and cleaned um, on a regular schedule. Uh, and so, you know, that will eliminate any microbial growth, any sludge buildup, any rust formation inside that, uh, inside that tank. It will really minimize the impacts of any of those things. How does the use of a premium diesel help minimize those fuel tank issues you've talked about? Well, I think that, again, when we talk about premium diesel, that can mean a number of things, right? There is no specific standard in the industry for what a premium diesel fuel needs to contain. Um, but Senex premium diesel fuel, Senex Ruby Fieldmaster, has a demulsifier in there as one of the seven additives that are in that fuel. And what demulsifier does is any water that is in the tank is pushed to the bottom, making it easy to remove by just uh, you know opening that valve and, and releasing that water out of the bottom of the tank, um, and you know one might wonder, well, geez, if I'm getting good quality fuel delivered, how can there be water in there? Well, the water occurs over time, so when that fuel tank heats up, it creates condensation. That condensation drips in the fuel, uh, and boom, you have water in the fuel. It's almost it's almost water in the fuel. We just make sure with Senex Ruby Fieldmaster that that water does not enter the fuel system of your equipment. So to protect your equipment, maintain your fuel tank. Where can folks find Senex Premium Diesel? They can find a Senex distributor uh, at Senex.com. And uh, at the Locations tab, just click on Distributor, and it will list all the distributors in the area. Very good. That's Akhtar Hussein, Director of Fuels Marketing for CHS. Akhtar, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And as we wrap things up for the day and for the week and head into the weekend, of course, the news uh, very much centered around uh, whether the tariffs, new tariffs will go on Mexico starting this next week. And even though progress has been reported uh, in talks between U.S. and Mexican officials, uh, Word is right now that the tariffs are still going to go into place, but we'll be watching that certainly going into the weekend. And the, the story we talked about earlier with Joe Glauber, former USDA chief economist, is one to watch as well. This has been going on for some time, but it's, it's building and it's, it's a growing controversy. And that is moving the two uh, research facilities, the Economic Research Service and the National Institute of Food and Agriculture, away from Washington, D.C., uh, Proposed, proposed locations would include possibly going to the Kansas City area, maybe somewhere in Indiana, maybe North Carolina. And you're seeing a, you know sides taken within Congress, delegations from uh, states, congressional delegations from the states where those uh, uh, potential sites are located. They're making the case to have those agencies moved to their states. So they're pushing for that. Meanwhile, there's a lot of resistance to moving. You heard Joe Glauber say earlier he's concerned about the loss of some valuable employees and how that could impact uh, the, the information that comes out of these agencies. Political reporting that rank-and-file employees at uh, uh, one of the agencies, the National Institute of Food and Agriculture, employees there have set up say they are being set up by the administration in an environment similar to Hunger Games, deciding that anyone who wants to stay in Washington must go through a highly competitive application process and saying that's uh, very difficult to go through. Um, 
then you're wondering about how many will stay, how many will not make the move. We've heard about those that have said they will not move away from Washington, D.C. How quickly can you replace those people? Can you replace them uh, from an experience standpoint? That's going to be difficult. Some that have been there a long time, what impact will that have on the information coming out? So, you know, it's kind of been a for those involved, it's been a very serious issue for some time. For the rest of us, it's kind of flown under the radar, but it is a story to be watching. And, of course, we'll be watching weather conditions over the weekend, planting progress, big reports coming out, crop conditions on Monday. Lots to be looking at next week, and we'll be doing it right here. hope you'll join us on AOA. Have a good weekend, everyone.